Hello and welcome back to When in Dot Pixie, your multiple choice podcast where we discuss the best and worst in pop culture, feminism, and history. I'm one of your hosts, Sophie. And I'm Lindsay. So uh, just to remind you how this works, every episode we will start with a question that we're interested in, multiple answers to choose from. We will, from there, discuss all the choices and give our own opinions. Then you can go answer our poll on Twitter at Pixie Podcast and tell us what you think. So remember, uh, just there will be some light swearing. We try to keep it to minimum, but sometimes we get spirited on this podcast. Uh, also, there's no real right answers. We just we're just here to learn about all our options and make informed choices. So, Lindsay, what's the question of the week? The question of the week is: What's the best classic Hasbro board game? Okay, and this week's question uh, is. Lindsay's choice. So Lindsay, why don't you tell us about why you were interested in this? Well, so board games have actually been around since people have been around, like like many of the things we discuss on this podcast. Like they mm-hmm. found evidence of board games in ancient Egypt and stuff like that. But once industrialism hit, then, you know, they could kind of be mass produced instead of just a time waster of the wealthy, <laughs> you know, conspicuous mm-hmm. consumption method of the wealthy. Yes. Uh, and moreover, board like mass-produced board games are like very much a part of Americana, and you and I are Americans, believe it or not. Yeah, the viewers may or not believe that it. Comes with. <laughs> viewers, listeners, with everything that comes with. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so, why do you like board games, Lindsay? Uh, you know, uh, my family is not immune to propaganda, so we had we had some of that family game night stuff that they were really pushing kind of starting in the 70s right so yeah family game night was a was a thing that we did and Mm -hmm. i'm not saying that my family's competitive but i'm not saying that we're not yes i'm i'm also not saying that your family or my family are not competitive (laughs) (laughs) all right so what are our choices this week the choices this week are a monopoly b Clue or Cluedo, if you're not in the United States. C, mm-hmm. Battleship. And D, Scrabble. And why did you pick these particular games? So these games are, as I was doing the research for this episode, I was like, I mean, how many board games are there? And there are so many. Like, yeah. there's seriously a lot of board games. And even a lot of board games that I'd played, I didn't remember playing that many. But mm-hmm. of the board games... I wanted to go for ones that were really classic, like iconic, recognizable board games that everybody's heard of, and right. ones that are playable by all ages, and right. that are really different from each other, especially when it comes to like gameplay. And also, these are four that we've, uh, both of us have played all four of them. Right. right. Albeit with d- different degrees of frequency and familiarity. <laughs> okay, so those are our four answer choices, and... As Lindsay and I go through, as we go through and discuss all of these games, some of the things we're going to be looking at is things like how fun are these games? Because that's really important when we're playing a game. Uh, how easy is it? How challenging or engaging is it? You know, also maybe how friendship destroying are they? <laughs> <laughs> so with no further ado, let's talk about the, the one that's most commonly referred to as friendship destroying. Monopoly. Monopoly. So first, a little bit of background about this game. 
Uh, It was adapted from this game called The Landlord's Game by Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Maggie or Meiji or McGee. I don't know. (laughs) In um, mystery. In 1903. And actually, Mm -hmm. it was this really political game. She was something of a socialist and she was really against Mm -hmm. uh, capitalism that allowed monopolies. So it was a game that showed how damaging it could be to try to wring your opponents out for every last red cent, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But of course, what ended up happening was this guy called Charles Darrow got a version of it and sold it to Parker Brothers, the board game conglomerate in the, in one of them, one of the board game conglomerates in the United States in 1935, which kind of scrubbed a lot of the political commentary out of it. And that is the one that became like a smash hit board game. Right. So there's this common uh, legend that was perpetuated by Parker Brothers for a while that Charles Darrow was this, uh, you know, he was this broke, unemployed dude during the Depression, didn't had a lot of time on his hands, and he invented uh, Monopoly Ugh. based on properties in Atlantic City, which was a place that he liked to go on vacation. You're going to see this broke, unemployed dude with time on a ha- his hands more than once in this episode, which uh, I think says something. <laughs> All right. So, Sophie, what what is the object of Monopoly, as you know, as you know it? Um... To get rich, okay, and make everybody else broke, yes, and rub salt in the womb, <laughs> rub salt in the wound. Oh yeah, Excuse don't me. rub salt in your womb. Do not. Neither neither of those is a pretty outcome. No. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Neither of those is a pretty outcome. But but basically, it's just pain. Okay, monopoly pain. Right. So yeah, the object monopoly is a zero-sum game you can only win when everybody else has lost basically yep now as i was researching board games for this episode what i learned is that there's this kind of theory Mm -hmm. of board game like play structure which is that board games rely on a combination Mm -hmm. of luck strategy and diplomacy you know in different measures depending on the game right so if i'm looking at it so if we're looking at Monopoly through that lens, mm-hmm. I think Monopoly has all three of those, right? Yes. Like, so luck is commonly introduced by using dice rolls, but also it has like the cards that you have to draw. Uh-huh. And then diplomacy, obviously you're supposed to trade properties. Mm-hmm. Allegedly. I have like never traded a property in Monopoly in my life. I have. Well, it's like, I, I have, of course, I'm exaggerating. But again, it's a weird because it's a zero sum game. Right. So especially if you're playing like two or three player Monopoly, it's Mm -hmm. like, no, I don't want to help you at all. Why would Uh I ever? (laughs) Yeah. Why would I ever give you anything you want? Yeah, it's a it's a game that does bring out the worst instincts. And, um, you know, you 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 uh, I'm going to stop there. (laughs) (laughs) So here's my question, though, about Mm -hmm. the strategy of Monopoly. Yes. What is your strategy when you're playing Monopoly? Uh, I think my strategy starts with acquire as much wealth and property as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's my strategy for Monopoly is I acquire as much wealth and property as possible. And then I trade to get uh, the sort of the conglomerates that I want. I normally try mm-hmm. to get at least one utility just because those are useful. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that, then it's sort of just a free-for-all. I just kind of go with my instincts. I'm try and do best and sometimes that turns out well and sometimes it doesn't i'm just a person who goes with my gut so Lindsay, what about you what's your strategy 
what I know is that the red and like magenta properties get the most traffic. Mm -hmm. So if you can get a monopoly on those, that's the best. Right. But of course, it is. It has that luck introduced by the dice roll. So you do have you have to take what you can get. Mm-hmm. So beyond just trying to collect monopolies and with preference towards the the block between jail and free parking, right? Uh, the only other thing is to try to spend all your money except, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars as you go around the board, so that you can. How can I say it? You you know you don't want to keep too much money because you're afraid of having to pay out other people. Right. That you're not buying any properties. Mm-hmm. But that's the main thing. Okay. I haven't look. <laughs> have I watched a bunch of videos analyzing the mathematics of Monopoly? Maybe. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Right. It's in, it's interesting because uh, you know it's it's a. Uh, this is. What Lindsay and I have just said is very indicative of how we kind of go at solving our problems and how we learn things, <laughs> which is that once in a while I will pick up a book or something and uh, ponder the economics of the situation and then normally just throw all of that out the window when I actually sit down to play and just kind of go with my gut. Uh, Lindsay is the one who does a lot of research and really works out a way to do it. This is also how we s- solve things like the Rubik's Cube, which is to say yeah. I don't. I was going to say that totally depends on the problem, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like when it comes to more practical, like, oh, let's look at jobs. Let's go house hunting. Again, like things that actually impact your life. I think you do much more strategy and research than I do. That's true. That's but I'm like Rubik's Cube. Better look up some better look up some (laughs) algorithms. Oh, well. Well, we are still in our 20s, so there's still quite a few decades to figure out which one of us has the uh, has has our, you know, has the right of it, I guess. Although our friendship, unlike Monopoly, is not a zero sum game. So, you know, right. go figure. I was going to say maybe the real friendship was finding out that both of our strategies work for our different lifestyles along the way. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> OK, um, I guess. I don't know, because there was a random fact which I just found out that they've got a uh, they've got a game version of Monopoly. I mean, they've got a movie version of Monopoly coming. Yeah, out I was soon. like, what a game version? Crazy! So, whoa, yeah. Um, that was another thing that we were going to look at in this uh, in this episode, which is you know like, okay, yes, all of these games are classics. How classic are they? Like, what have people been doing with them in media and stuff like that? You know, because we're always interested in media representation and pop culture. So. According to a Variety article from this past January to 2019, um, there is actually a movie in development so far set to star Kevin Hart, which, interesting, I guess. Yeah. And it's about, quote, a boy from the game's Baltic Avenue embarking on a quest to make a fortune. So completely in line with the kind of more Charles Darrow version as opposed to the original Elizabeth McGee version. But I guess greed and uh, avarice are more exciting and cinematic than uh, the thesis that wealth creation is better than monopolies. Go figure. Yeah. I mean, wasn't that a whole genre of paperback trash, like um, (laughs) rags to riches novels? Yeah, basically. Um, And it is also the reason that every economist you know just put their head down and just like gave a big... (sighs) (sighs) Yeah. I guess... So that's the thing about Monopoly, isn't it? I mean, it's sort of emblematic of a lot of the problems that we deal with in our day-to-day lives and uh, and just 
the issues with society. Um, fun stuff. We need a co-op Monopoly game. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow. Now, yeah. Now that that is cinematic. You know, that's exciting and, and thrilling and all of that stuff. Well, actually, that brings me to the point of, Lindsay, how much do you enjoy Monopoly? I really like Monopoly. And this is another thing, right? Mm-hmm. Monopoly is really fun when you play by box rules, mm-hmm. which is to say a lot of people have these kind of house rules. Like mm-hmm. some people complain that Monopoly lasts too long. But if you play if you play the box rules, I find it's actually a pretty snappy, pretty fast paced game. Yeah, that's true. And I think I think it's a lot of fun, especially yeah. when you're drinking. That's also true. Uh, alcohol makes a lot of things better. Uh, in life and in gameplay. Um, I agree with you. I really enjoy Monopoly. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say, which is that I, I think I, I enjoy Monopoly. It's challenging. Like you said, it engages a lot of different things. There's a lot of stuff that's up to chance, but also there's a lot of stuff that can be done using other skill sets. So if you're a strategy thinker, then there's something in it for you. If you're a diplomacy or people person who just likes watching people um, and likes striking deals and likes pissing people off, there's also something in it for you. So true. Uh, a broad base appeal is what I would say. Right. Okay, but here's the most important question, which is mm-hmm. what game piece do you use when you play Monopoly? Uh, so I, I I don't play Monopoly often enough to have a single go-to piece. Normally, the strategy that I use, or strategy, normally the rule that I use is just what piece is cute and compact. So a lot of times I've gone with the top hat is the one mm-hmm. that I think I use the most. See, I always like the dog the best, but my mm. sister also liked the dog the best, and she's Aww. older, so that's what happened. Oh. But I went for Thimble, which I think is not Ooh. in new versions of Monopoly, but I, I liked it in the old versions, I'll tell you, because yeah, it really fit cute. on my child pinky. The Thimble's cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it, compact, like you said. Yeah, it's cute and compact. Mm-hmm. So there are two versions of Monopoly, or like two versions other than the original that I think are kind of worth discussion. Okay. One, here's a brief one, is they have like electronic banking monopoly, which is trash. Okay. The whole point is to have the paper money. It's really fun to have the paper money and be yeah. the banker and dole it out. Oh. Yeah. It's just like crappy little credit cards and they're not even credit cards, they're debit cards. Oh. Oh god, that's awful. Yeah, okay. the whole that's the fun of it, right? Is to mm-hmm. fiddle with all the paper. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And then, of course, the other version that was in the news last year was the Millennial Monopoly. No, wait, that was Millennial Game of Life, wasn't it? No, no, there was Monopoly money. Uh, Sorry, there was Monopoly for Millennials because you can't afford it anyway, I think was the tagline. Yeah. So Monopoly for Millennials. What were they thinking? Right. Because the best way to sell a game is clearly to alienate your target customer base. I don't think Monopoly for Millennials is inherently a bad idea. I think that there's certainly definitely some interesting points that could be made with it. You know, there's some interesting um, things that could be done if you use kind of the millennial handbook of personal finance and economics, you mm-hmm. know, kind of this this sort of uh, gig economy. Um, you could have incorporated some um, some stuff about like communal culture, communal living culture, you know, uh, um, the Venmo culture, it, there would have been some interesting things. Although to be fair, I haven't played it, so I don't know if there's if those True. elements are in there. But for some reason, I suspect that they are not. <laughs> I think the number one thing that most games do when they do kind of different versions is they just reskin a game. Yeah, and it could have been really easy. You just change all the chance and community chess cards to things that are relevant to today, 
Yeah. You change the utilities, maybe change the mm-hmm. railroads to be something besides railroads. Call it good. Yeah. But instead, they had to go for the insulting route for some reason. Yeah. Oh, well. It was a choice. Yeah. Basically, the point of this is that uh, Elizabeth McGee, hopefully that's how her name is pronounced, McGee, Lizzie McGee is (laughs) right, and uh, capitalism is trash, and we're all suffering for it now. So, yay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right about that. Yep. All right. You want to move on to Clue? Let's do it. Okay. So option B is Clue, the mm-hmm. classic game of murder mystery. Yes. It was invented in 1944 by Anthony and Elva Pratt. Uh, originally, I think it was called Cluedo, which is a combination of the word clue, which is, of course, super important for murder mysteries, and the word <laughs> right. Ludo, which is Latin for let's play. Right. So this game was actually an English game. As mm-hmm. in British English, British yeah. game. Yeah. And so it's actually, I think, everywhere except the United States, it's known as Cluedo. But here we rebranded it because we don't have public schools where we take Latin with the good old boys. Yeah. I mean, we also use not the metric system. So yeah. Americans <laughs> just, we just want to be special snowflakes. Okay. For better or for worse. Mm-hmm. All right, so how do you win, or what is the object of the game Clue? So you're having to solve a murder mystery, and you have to solve who did it, uh, with what, and where. Um, You know, when you start really digging into it, Mm -hmm. it really makes you wonder, why wouldn't you know where they killed (laughs) the victim? Surely they found the body, like, right? Yeah, you would think so, but maybe... When you start interrogating the premise of this game, I just don't know if it holds up. Yeah, but, you know, that's... (laughs) Lindsay, you're ruining my childhood. Stop. (laughs) Oh, don't worry. Uh, Clue Clue was a big part of my childhood as well. Yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, do you want to take us through kind of how we play it, all the different nuts and bolts? Yeah, just to remind people or tell people who don't know, mm-hmm. in Clue, there's like cards for the suspects, the word, the possible murder weapons, and the possible locations. Mm-hmm. You take one of each secretly, hide them. Th- those are the answers you're looking for. And you shuffle the rest and pass them out to the other players right? so that they have to use deductive reasoning, Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes up in here, mm-hmm. in order to figure out who had, like, what cards are being held by their competitors because right. if you know that, you can deduce which cars are in the secret envelope. Elementary. Elementary. Yeah. So you have luck in that, you know, if you get a bunch of location cards, that's an advantage because there's more location cards than there are any other card type. Right. But also there, I think, more than luck, it is a game of strategy. Yes. And what is your strategy for Clue, Sophie? <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> I'm just uh, so you just ask any old question. Um, pretty much. Uh, this is the game that out of these four games I played this the least in my mm-hmm. life. Um, so every time, and every time I played it, I think I've evolved a life stage. So like I played it a little bit when I was <laughs> a kid, and then I played it a little bit in high school, and then a little bit in college with you guys, with our roommates. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had fun. So I guess that's the point, right? Yeah, I think so. 
What's your strategy, Lindsay? Well, like you, I, I've played this more than you, but also I've played it through different life stages and my strategy has evolved along with it. Oh my. It's the kind of game that like kids can play it. And when you mm-hmm. do, what you do is like you ask, do you have any of these three cards? And someone shows you one of them. You mark it down. You know it's not in the envelope. Right. But the more intense you get, the older you get, the more you play Clue, the more information you write down. Right. <laughs> so me and my sister mm-hmm. go ham on Clue. Like, okay. you know, we have this advanced note-taking system. But the main thing is you write down every single guess somebody proposes Uh huh. And then as time goes on, you know, you'll find out which of the cards they showed them again through deductive reasoning. Yeah. It gets really intense. (laughs) See, that's that's just too much thinking for my poor little brain to handle. This is why I'm constantly impressed by like like Sherlock and all that that stuff. Anything that uses deductive reasoning. I'm just like, oh, my God, where did you get that? Crazy. Yeah, I'm the I'm. In case you haven't figured it out, uh, I am clearly the Watson to Lindsay Sherlock, if we were going to make an analogy. Well, yeah, if it comes to Clue anyway. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I actually got... So, mm-hmm. here's a fun fact about me. I collect different versions of Clue. Uh-huh. And so, what I don't care for are the just reskins. I don't like reskins because I'm like, hey, I'm still playing the same game. I just have to, you know, they're just different names on the cards, but otherwise it's the exact same game. Right. Luckily, Clue is a board game that really has a lot of different additions with different rules and different, you know, secret passages added or whatever. Right. So, for my birthday this past December, I got the newest edition of Clue. Right. Which is some 50th anniversary, something, something. Like, it looks very fancy. But they do have some slight rule tweaks. But more importantly, the notepads provided in this version of Clue. Mm -hmm. Like, you know on a classic score or, like, game pad for a board game, it's like, you have multiple columns, so you can play, like, five different games on one sheet. Right. So on this one, it is one game per sheet because they give you room to write down each of your competitors' names and make notes about them in their own column. Ooh. So I took that when I went to visit my sister and my brother-in-law and Mm -hmm. it was, it got, it got pretty dirty, (laughs) I must say. You know, the other thing about Clue though, Sophie. Yes. Is that of, of our four choices, it Mm -hmm. is the only one that like has, pretends to have a story. (laughs) That's true. That's true. I, I guess Monopoly, like, you're, you're like, some venture capitalist, maybe. Yes. But, you yes. know, you're a top hat. <laughs> yes. There's not, like, there's not a lot. Clue, mm-hmm. like, there are different characters, and they have different backgrounds, and they That's all true. are connected to the victim in different ways. That's true. Yeah. Of course, it does not impact the gameplay because it's randomized, but, you know, it has something to follow along with. Yeah. Which, which means that the movie... The movie version of Clue Bless. is pretty good. It's, it's yeah, I, I love the movie. God. Was I the one who showed you it or had you seen it before? No, you were the one who showed it to us. I think we were doing, so when we were in college, Lindsay and I um, and our roommates, we used to do these things where like for different holidays, we'd watch, you know, a variety of movies. And so I think this was shown for one of our Halloween movies. Mm-hmm. right either before or after Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I had also just seen for the first time. So that was interesting. <laughs> right. And they both have the iconic Tim Curry in a leading role. They do. They, yeah. they definitely do. 
And so <sighs> I think I think the movie was really great because, like I said, at least Clue does have pretends to have like a kind of kind of background for these characters. So the movie was like, sure, let's do it and make a weird farcical comedy out of it. Yeah. That was pretty great. And I really, one thing that I definitely really loved was that they kept a big part of the spirit of the original game, which is that whole, like, did this happen or did this happen? You know, so they kind of, they gave you like all these different endings. Yeah. Like which weapon was used? Was it a red herring? Oh my God, there's a secret passage. Was he even dead the first time? That kind of thing. Yep. Pretty fun. Pretty fun. (laughs) Pretty fun. Pretty fun. All right. Mm -hmm. So this next game is also pretty fun. Battleship. Let's talk about it. So Battleship is actually based on a French World War I game, mm-hmm. or some people allege that it's based on this game that was played in the United States in the 1890s. But either way, it was kind of like a pre-1920s thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first like version version of Battleship that was like mass-produced uh-huh. was called Salvo uh-huh. in 1931. Mm-hmm. And that was just, like, a cardboard board with, like, paper pieces, Mm -hmm. you know, and a divider. Right. It wasn't until, like, the late 1960s that Mm -hmm. the version that we're familiar with, with, like, a plastic board with pegs you put in and miniaturized versions of real ships that you could slot into the board, like, was actually sold. Mm -hmm. And also, fun fact... So the version, obviously, that I'm most familiar with is this plastic board thing. Right. But Battleship was also one of the first games to be computerized from a physical form. Ooh, that's exciting. It's very high tech. Yeah. I mean, which makes sense. It's a war game. Um, you mm-hmm. know, possibly one of the classic uh, war games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people want to talk to me about Risk. Uh-uh. Battleship. Battleship. You got it. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that's really interesting because, um, you know, because Battleship is kind of more of a tactics game, whereas Risk is more, it's bigger overall strategy. You're the general as opposed to a sort of a ship's captain or an admiral kind of deal. Different scope. Let's pretend I'm asking on behalf of the audience Uh when I say, so what is the difference between strategy and tactics anyway? (laughs) Um, The best explanation I've ever come across is uh, from Tamara Pierce, who is not an expert on this stuff, but she is the author of some wonderful fantasy novels, which is strategy is the overall, the long view, right? It's the view of an entire campaign. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, that's when you're playing a long con. Tactics is the individual, um, is the individual things that you use, the individual tools that you use in order to get the outcome that you want, in order to s- steer the the campaign in the direction that you want. It's how you handle individual battles as opposed to the entire uh, campaign. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So chess is a game of strategy. Checkers is more a game of tactics, that kind of thing. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> speaking of strategies and tactics, um, Lindsay, what are some of your, the strategies that you use? So the point of Battleship is to guess how big is the grid in Battleship? 10 by 10? I think so. Yes. Eight by eight, maybe? I think it depends on the game. So you have this square board and you set up your ships on it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're provided with like five to ten ships <laughs> and you set them up on it. And you have to guess blindly where your opponent's ships have been placed. And the only feedback you have is whether or not one particular square on the grid is a hit or a miss. Right. <laughs> and you win when you sink all of your opponent's ships. So for me, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I mean, so I obviously try to cover parts of the board. You don't want to cluster. Right. Because, you know, <laughs> why miss the forest for the trees? Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I just don't have a good solution to is that is the problem where like your first guess was only one off from your opponent's ship mm-hmm. and then you move on to like a different quadrant because you missed. Right. And then you miss it the whole rest of the game. It's the, it, that's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wait, you know, here's a strategy I use when I'm setting up my ships. Go ahead. You put two, two ships next to each other, like directly next to each other in adjacent columns. Mm-hmm. If someone guesses long ways, they take out one of your ships and then move on because they think they wouldn't have two ships really close together, right? Right, right. But if they guess hard, like the other way, they cut across and they think, okay, that's one of their two unit wide ships done. They wouldn't have another ship so close by it and they move on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my total pro tip that I think everybody kind of already knows how to do. Uh Uh-huh. What's your strategy? I think you've played more Battleship than me, so maybe you have some better strategies. No, no, wait, it's tactics. What's your tactics for Battleship? <laughs> um, my tactics for Battleship generally are just I do the thing where I kind of ping pong all over the board. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of, this is going to sound weird, but it's kind of like my, stra- I feel like it's kind of like my strategy for Hangman, which is for Hangman, then I go with like really, really common consonants, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or really common consonants and vowels, and then I sort of just kind of guess my way through there based on gut. And with Battleship, then it's like normally I kind of ping pong closer to the center of the board and kind of work my way out, which of course is not uh, – now that you know that, then the next time that you play me, you're probably going to put all your pieces on the edge. But <laughs> yeah. but yeah, that's how I normally do it is I normally pick somewhere in the center, close to the center of the board, and I kind of just guess my way out. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. No, it's been a long time since I've played Battleship. Same. When was the last time you played Battleship? I can't remember. That's how long it's been. But I do remember, okay, I do yeah. have a kind of a general clear memory of the game and how it's played. If you sat me down in front of a board, I would remember. Yeah, you wouldn't need to brush up on anything. You'd just be ready to go. Yeah, no, it's not Monopoly. <laughs> True. Okay, but here, here's the thing about Battleship. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like setting up Monopoly... You have to kind of, you have to organize all the cards. You have to organize all the properties. You have to organize the money. Right. But it's pretty fun. Yeah. Because again, you know, someone gets to be banker. Someone can be in charge of the properties. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I find it so- somehow satisfying to like set up for Monopoly. Yeah. And the same thing with Clue. Like you're picking the answer for it. So mm-hmm. it's pretty fun. Right. But Battleship is like so fiddly. Yeah. Yeah. It's not to set up. It's to take down once you've already set up. Like, once you finished a game, to put put away Battleship sucks. There's so many pieces. They're all so yeah. small. That's true. Yeah. Oh, do you ever play... Did you ever play that game Mastermind? No. So it's another logic game. Mm-hmm. But it's the exact same problem as with Battleship, is that it's full of these tiny, tiny pegs, and you're using, like, upwards of 30 a game. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, please. <laughs> it just takes so long. You're losing them all the time. That's true. You know, they they clog up your vacuum cleaner or you step on them. And it's not as bad as a Lego, but it's like up there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. For for me, that's not as big of a thing. I mean, for me, I'm kind of one of those people who likes to just jump in uh, to games. And so um, I like that Battleship is – I like that it's intuitive. You know, the rules, once you learn them once, then you're just like, okay, I got this. So unless you're playing like a drunk version or something, then you <laughs> – you um it's pretty much the same game you 
it's easy to set up, although, I mean, taking mm-hmm. down is a little bit difficult, but for me, then because you take it down, it's kind of, you don't have to organize the pieces in a specific way. So I just normally, I just take them down and I just kind of toss them into a box, maybe separate them by piece type and stuff like that. But for me, that's fine. So it's, I like Battleship. Actually, you know, the problem that I had with the version of, of Battleship that I had mm-hmm. was some of the, you know, the pieces aren't always uniform if there was some manufacturing error and sometimes the board had smaller holes or bigger holes. Oh, no. So sometimes you're trying to take one pin out and it like wrecks your whole board. Oh, no. Yeah, I know that feeling. Like, then it's over. Like, bye. Yeah. You just have to resign and <laughs> concede so w- the loss and start over. What I'm what I'm hearing is that uh, we need to get you playing on an artisanal, like, handmade board with everything perfect. And, uh, you know. Just don't underestimate my ability to bump the table with my knee <laughs> hard enough to both bruise my knee and completely wreck the entire game. To be fair, hard enough to bruise your knee is not hard at all. So. Well, that's true. <laughs> Okay, but one more thing about Battleship. Okay. It has a movie. Yes. Have you seen the Battleship movie? No. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) I was in a room when it was playing one time. (laughs) Okay. I remember almost nothing Uh except Alexander Skarsgård was the main character. Oh, no. In a movie version of Battleship. (laughs) And I'm like, our time's so hard, Alexander. (laughs) In addition to Will Smith, he maybe he needs a better agent. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I shouldn't be able to recognize any actors in a movie version of Battleship, right? Well, maybe they thought his his star power would, would help. Oh, but that's the other thing. It's not like Alexander Skarsgård's an A-lister. That's true. So they really Apologies like... Apologies to Alexander Skarsgård fans out there. Yeah, yeah. I love your work in True Blood. Yeah. But, you know, let's be honest, it's you're not... Sadly, the American media industry puts, like, blockbuster movie actors on top and not TV actors, which I think is a shitty thing to do. But whatever. I didn't make the system. Yeah, that's a, that's an episode for another day. I feel like, you know that, like, Ron Swanson quote? Mm-hmm. I think they ha- they half-assed two things. <laughs> when they should have whole Like, they one. didn't go all the way and get a big movie star. Mm-hmm. But they didn't just save all the money to use in budgeting or hiring good scriptwriters either. Yeah. Oh, dear. Well. And all I remember of that movie, again, I was, like, in the room while it was playing, but, like, I was not watching it. Mm -hmm. So Alexander Skarsgård was in it, and the effects were, like, not good. Mm -hmm. And, which is not, like, it's a movie that needed good effects because it was about ships, big battleships, like, shooting at each other, sinking huge sweeping vistas of oceans like um so what you're saying is that they is that they half asked three things you know you're right yeah they third asked three things yes you're yes that is correct <laughs> so uh all right let's move on to a game that does not have a movie adaptation although it does appear in a lot of movies to represent smart people scrabble scrabble all right so scrabble was invented by an architect named alfred mosher Butts, B-U-T-T-S, in 1938, while he was also an underemployed man with a lot of time on his hands. Mm-hmm. And he came up with the game by looking at uh, publications like the New York Times, the Saturday Evening Post, um, and seeing how often words were used, different letters. And so then he came up with a series of letter points. And that was kind of the origin of the game Scrabble. Lindsay, please add something. <laughs> yeah. 
he actually had a couple of other similar versions of like word games mm-hmm. but scrabble was the one like the first one where he kind of introduced the crossword format yes and you know the interesting thing about the frequency analysis that he used mm-hmm. is like those are still the the points that scrabble uses today that's true. like he he did good frequency analysis i guess <laughs> Good for Mr. Butts. Yeah. Do they update their frequency analysis to, depending on how the language changes? Because it has changed in the last century or so. Yeah. You know, that's something that I was like, am I going to spend a long time researching this? No, but uh-huh. <laughs> it would be interesting to see who did the frequency analyses for other language versions of Scrabble Ooh. because it's obviously going to be different. Right. Yeah. But then I also, I wonder if the frequency of different letters has changed in English from 1938 to like 2018. Yeah, I I don't really think so. I think we're using different words, but I think we still favor the letters we favor. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, that makes sense. So basically, Alfred Butts Mm -hmm. (laughs) made uh, Scrabble in 1938. Right. And like, it was bought by almost no one. Mm -hmm. Like he, he was making it solo, right? So like, very few people bought it but mm-hmm. one of the people who bought it really liked it mm-hmm. so he acquired the rights to it mm-hmm. and made like a couple thousand copies and it flopped and he lost a bunch of money mm-hmm. but legend goes one of those copies that the second guy made mm-hmm. was bought by the president the then president of macy's mm-hmm. who really loved it and noticed that it wasn't available in any kind of stores like commercial stores so in 1949 supposedly Macy's president plugged Scrabble and said everybody should get a copy of it. Mm -hmm. And then a big gaming company in the United States bought it in 1952. Yeah. And the rest is history. Oh, and here's, here's a fun fact, by the way, all four of our games were not originally owned by Hasbro, but are now (laughs) as of 2019 owned by Hasbro. Right. Who was the last to get acquired? Uh, I'm not sure, but I just think it's a good, (laughs) You know, speaking of monopolies, mm. Hasbro bought out the other big gaming companies in America, and now it's the only one. <laughs> Good job, Hasbro. <laughs> yeah, congrats. Some fun facts about Scrabble. It has its own dictionary, or actually there's a series of dictionaries depending on where you play. Um, the first one was the original Scrabble Players Dictionary, published in 1978 by the National Scrabble Association in conjunction with Merriam-Webster. And then... That one is used uh, and still used for players in North America, so so the U.S. and Canada. And then there are other dictionaries out there that incorporate English words and spellings that are not just used in American and Canadian English. So Britain has its own Scrabble dictionary. Uh, Another fun thing about Scrabble, which I didn't know, but that is that it has an international competition circuit, the most prestigious of which is the World Scrabble Championship. So before 2007, the World Scrabble Championship used a uh, version of the Scrabble Dictionary that was called Podsau, which is basically the... um, it's basically a combination of the Scrabble Words Dictionary, which is used in the UK, and then the official Scrabble Players Dictionary, or OSPD, which is used in North America. And then since 2007, they, a company called Collins created a dictionary that's a combination of both of those, which lists British as well as American words, and that's just called the Collins Scrabble Words, and that's what they use in competition these days. Fun facts. Yeah, I mean, that would be really useful, right? If you see... 
if you want to try to land on a particular square, it might behoove you to have an extra letter in the form of a superfluous U yes. using the British spelling. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, so now we know a lot about how Scrabble happened and like the different circuits and the dictionaries and stuff, but t- tell me, Sophie, what is the object of the game in Scrabble? Well, the object of the game is to win and to win is <laughs> and to to win you have to get the most points and the way you get the most points is by maximizing the hand of letter tiles to which you are dealt in order to make the best kind of high dollar words so basically you win by knowing more words and being a little cannier about where you put the letter tiles right because the whole setup of scrabble is that it has this board uh that has certain certain spaces on it get like point multipliers or point point bonuses, right? Right. So you get points for playing letters, more points for rarer letters, and additional points for playing words at certain places on the board. Right. So in, in our in our hierarchy of game design here, mm-hmm. it's mostly a strategy game, but definitely luck because you do have to draw draw your letters. Right. 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 In a random fashion. Yes. Okay, so what what is your tactic slash strategy for playing Scrabble? If I get the advantage of, like, the first draw, then I normally try to work my way out from the middle, um, which is might be a terrible strategy because I've seen some people play, like, kind of try and put things out from the edge. But, uh, yeah, and I just – normally I just try to go for the longest words possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you get into the and – then, and then I get into the later stage of the game and then all of that backfires on me. So <laughs> take, that with, take that advice with a grain of salt. What about you? What's your strategy? See, I, I haven't played that mm-hmm. much Scrabble. Oh. So is it is it legal in Scrabble to just pluralize someone else's play and have that be your play? I believe so. Ooh, It's man, been a while. That's rough. It's been a while. Okay, do you have any stories of like a total slam dunk of a Scrabble? Because um, I do not. <laughs> well, I mean, most of my Scrabble stories involve like just learning that words are wor- that certain words are words. Like I remember so true. one time... I played at a New Year's Eve party with some older people, and I that was the time that I learned that the, that the letters P and the letter E uh, form a word. I did not know that P is a word, but that is a word. Like, just the letter P is a word? No, P-E. Um, what, what does it mean? I don't know. Let's look it up. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's true about Scrabble. It's not important what the words mean. It's just important that they exist. you can be technically correct and yes. you can play it. Yeah, P-E is a, it's a Cyrillic letter. Oh, sorry. It is also the name of a language that is spoken in Nigeria. But yeah, so I don't have any epic Scrabble Smackdown stories. Um, Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. I actually, I find, Mm -hmm. I find Scrabble of the, of these four games. Mm -hmm. It's definitely the one I think you have to like play the most to get, to be competitive at. Yes. Whereas, like, like we were talking about with Clue, mm-hmm. it's like you can definitely play it as a beginner, mm-hmm. and there's like, there's a way for you to do that. But Scrabble, man, ooh, I think you got to put in your time. I mean, yes, but at the same time, I also think that it has like it's pretty easy to kind of get into a level where you're competitive. Kind of how we were talking about Monopoly and how you know it's so difficult to put in the time that you would need to in order to develop a comprehensive strategy with Monopoly Mm -hmm. and the same thing with Clue and with Scrabble because the game is so easy to understand you know it's kind of 
it's really up to kind of the letter placement, the luck, and then also your vocabulary. And so it's easy to build that vocabulary. And, and you know, I've, I've never seen anybody turn down a game of Scrabble. Like that's, it doesn't have quite the same friendship destroying power as some of these other games do. <laughs> that is very true. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've been talking about the media presence of these other games. So I think you mentioned at the top of this segment, Right. Scrabble does not have a movie, but it, it does kind of show up a lot in popular media, right? Yes, it shows up a lot. And uh, I'm only going to bring up two examples because they're the, kind of the ones that are more important in my life. Sorry, guys, this podcast revolves around us. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, a lot of times it's kind of similar to chess in that it's, a lot of times it's used to show that a character is smart. You know, it's used as a kind of a tool for characterization. Um, and so the, like the, the most, one of the most recent and most popular examples is that Scrabble shows up pretty importantly in The Handmaid's Tale, um, which both the book. I haven't seen it. You got to tell me. How does that show up? Well, it shows up in both the book. So the original source material, as well as the two adaptations that have been made of The Handmaid's Tale, um, the movie version back in like the seventies, I want to say, or no, the movie version back in like the eighties. And also the recent Hulu adaptation. So basically, um, The Handmaid's Tale is set in this dystopia where women are not allowed to read, right? And mm -hmm. one of the major plot points, or one of the major plot events of the, in the story is that uh, the main character, who is a handmaid, aka a sex slave, essentially, she... Being a woman is not allowed to read, but she builds a relationship with her boss the guy with whom she has to have sex with once a month she builds a relationship with him because he challenges her to a game of scrabble and so you know he's kind of he kind of engages her in this sort of slyly breaking the rules kind of thing that becomes really important in the plot so mm. that's all i'll say about that but you know so the, in that way then kind of scrabble shows up as this packaged plot device of you know this of like literacy and strategy and all of that kind of stuff because obviously you have to know how to read in order to play scrabble um the other i mean for me at least in my life then the other thing time that scrabble has really really shown up is in the kids movie akila and b um for those of you who don't know i was a i used to be a spelling bee person it used to be a spelling bee uh so yeah anyway in akila and the b you know of course it's a movie about words and spelling and stuff like that so there are a couple of really important scenes where the main character meets some of her stiffest competition in advance of the spelling bee and they're kind of bonding or not bonding they're kind of they're 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 having a staring competition over a game of scrabble so that's it's fun it's also a really fun moment of character building anyway scrabble everybody that's scrabble mm-hmm all right. Are we ready to get to the verdict? I think so. I think I think we've done a fair shake for all four of our options. Mm -hmm. So I think it's time to share our verdicts. Drum roll. Drum roll. And maybe we'll put in a real one <laughs> when we edit well, this podcast. Maybe. Okay. Uh, Lindsay, what is, what is the best classic board game? The best classic board game is B, Clue. Okay. Are you totally shocked? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Sophie. So what's the best classic board game in your opinion? My favorite of these is going to be Scrabble. Okay. Defend Scrabble to me because to me, mm -hmm. of, of all these games, yes. it's kind of, it's. I think it's the one least like the others. 
Hmm, interesting. Can I change my answer? Uh, no. Damn it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, so what's, what is it? Monopoly. <laughs> okay. Okay, you've changed your answer to Monopoly. Why Monopoly? Are you going to leave that in the cu- in the final cut? <laughs> I mean, are you saying I shouldn't? <laughs> Explain to me why you changed, and then we'll see. <laughs> okay. Well, Scrabble is still going to be my favorite, I think, like in my heart, mostly because that's the game that I played the most. Um, but also because, you know, I just, I'm a word person. I love word games. Um, I love the kind of the simple rules of Scrabble. You know, it's, it's very, it's very accessible for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. but Monopoly, I might argue is the best game because it, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but because it engages so many different kinds of people, so it's accessible in a different way. You know, mm-hmm. it makes you it pushes you to use a lot of these different skill sets. So in addition to the game being up to luck, but also, you know, you, it engages people who are good at strategy, but also it engages people who maybe want to play Monopoly kind of in the way that using their gut. You know, that's a valid strategy that could take you to good places, even if it might not take <laughs> you all the way to a win. Um, it engages people who are good people, people. So like because it, it there's an element of monopoly that requires diplomacy. So in that way, I think um, that's really great because it makes you pull out all of these different parts of your brain and use them in a really high level fashion. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my opinion. Yeah. So I think I'm definitely going to leave it in. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. <laughs> okay. What about you? Tell me about Clue. Uh, so, I mean, I feel like I did kind of give the game away a bit. Yes. I, I literally collect different editions of Clue because I like it so much. That's true. So to me, it's number one because there's no advantage that any one player has over any other. That's like, true. There is, like we talked about in the section, mm-hmm. there's a bit of luck. Like it depends on what cards you get and how you're rolling the dice. Mm-hmm. But no, pretty much no matter how you roll the dice, you can probably get from one room to another. So it's all down just to your strategy mm-hmm. and deductive logic and... I like deductive logic. Yeah. I'm competitive, but I hate games that uh, rely on skill that I don't have. <laughs> that's fair. You know, I want to feel like everybody has a fair shake at it. Yeah, that's fair. And clue, like Monopoly is total. It is really fun, mm-hmm. but you can feel like you're totally being screwed over by the roll of the dice or the cards you're drawing. That's Whereas true. Clue, it's like, nope, like this is all on you. Just do your best. Yeah, and maybe have a really, really kick-ass method of taking notes. Yeah, but that's something that you can develop yourself. But yeah, it's it's not like it's proprietary secrets or anything. Oh no, 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 no. Especially I'm... with this new pad, you know, they yeah. want everybody to take notes that way. That's true. But I think you know what? Similarly to you and Scrabble, I think the other reason Clue is my favorite is because it's the one I played the most. You yeah, know? got the most nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Scrabble was definitely our family game of choice. My parents didn't have the patience for Monopoly or or any of the others, so. Okay, here's here's the myth, man. Monopoly really doesn't take that long if you play by house rules. It's not that Monopoly takes long. It's my parents didn't have the patience to go through the rules. Oh. <laughs> Which I think okay. is a little bit of a bigger <laughs> barrier. Okay. Yeah, that is if true. If you can't that sit is true. through the reading of the rules of Monopoly, I don't think you stand much of a chance for the game itself. That is very true. Okay, so now that we're done with our discussion of the verdicts, what is the meme of the week this week, Sophie? This week, we're going to do the best classic games as Parks and Rec characters. So for those Mm. of you children who don't know, Parks and Recreation was a show that aired in our youth um, about (laughs) civil servants in the town of Pawnee, Indiana. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's great. 
True. Lindsay, what do you think about Monopoly? Okay, so my knee-jerk reaction is like Ron Swanson. Okay. Although he's not so much like a... Okay, he's definitely capitalist. Yes. So I guess that's true. He's not like as aggressive and one percenty as Monopoly is, but he is definitely... He's definitely the most aggressive... Mm-hmm. Uh, aggressive capitalist, I think, of all of them. Yeah. I think I agree with you um, for, for a slightly different reason, which is that I think that Monopoly is very in the spirit of Ron in that it's this enterprising spirit. You know, he's very in, in a fan of enterprise and, and ingenuity and, and strategy and all of that kind of stuff. So I think in that sure. way, then it is true to the spirit of, Wan- of Ron Swanson. And then on second thought too, because mm-hmm. there, there's more than four characters. Yes. I feel like Tom and Donna could also Ooh. fit into Monopoly very well. That's true. That's it's very now true. my headcanon that Donna's favorite board game is Monopoly. Okay. I'm, I'm, and she crushes at it. I'm down with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure she beats Tom's ass every time. True. All right. What mm-hmm. do you think about Clue? Clue. Ugh. I feel like Leslie yes. is good at it. Yes. And I feel like Andy is really lucky at it. Yes. <laughs> I was about to say the same things. <laughs> okay. Great minds. Great minds. Yeah. Because Leslie's really meticulous, right? Right. So, I, yeah, I think that makes sense. I'm satisfied with that. What okay. do you think about Battleship? I think Battleship is Ben's game. Mm, yep. Yep. Yeah. I think it's Ben's game. It has game. miniatures. Yeah, it has miniatures. And, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm just going to stick with that. And, and I'm, you know, in, very in character for me. I made the decision based on my gut, but I'm going to stick with it. And uh, I think Jerry is the me of the equation where he often knocks over Battleship hordes. <laughs> Damn it, Terry. Oh my gosh. Okay, so that's so then just Scrabble, right? Yeah. Yeah. So as far as people we haven't really put down yet, it's April and Anne, but I feel like that's they're they're pretty good choices for yeah. different reasons. Yeah, yeah. You know April April is just trying to play the creepiest words. Yes, absolutely. And Anne is just trying her level best. God damn it. Yeah, exactly. She's she's skating by on like four letter words the whole game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. All right. Yeah. So that wraps this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening if you've made it this far. If you disagreed with our choices, go ahead and uh, tell us on Twitter what you would have picked. Right. And if you disagree, uh, if you thought a board game should have been on our short list of choices that wasn't, Go ahead and tell us uh, what board game should have been on our list and why. Yeah. Remember, we are at Pixie Podcast on both Twitter and Tumblr. You can reach us there. The writing for this episode was done by us, Sophie Lee and Lindsay Jones. Audio production is by Elisha Bonnet. And our wonderful intro and outro music are by David Hillowitz. Thanks again for listening. Bye. Bye.